Hello and welcome to a very special, special, oh, I did it again. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a very special 55-1 holiday podcast. It's not a holiday, but it's mid-season review. Uh, we've already done a podcast this week. In fact, we recorded it about five minutes ago. Um, and now we're here and we're going to talk about the first half of the season. I've got Jeff Ruder. Hello, Jeff. Hello. How's it going since... Been, it's been a lot, man. Yeah, it's a been tough. A lot's changed. You were talking about New Brighton in the other room. A lot of time about New Brighton. Yeah. yeah. Alex Schieferdecker, you're still in Philadelphia? Yep. How's that going? Uh, it's going pretty much the same as it was when we last spoke. Well, it's weird because last time we spoke, we talked about having you move up and down the East Coast and find a different location. Yeah. So we had our man in, but uh, the, the, the town in... hall sponsorship didn't quite get to you yeah. yet in the last... I mean, yeah. days since we last spoke. Are I'm you in still, Camden I'm yet? I'm still waiting. No, God, still waiting for my uh, town hall uh, check to clear. Then I'll then I'll because it's in, what uh, Baltimore sure. maybe. Interesting, because yeah, it's been like an arbitrary amount of time between zero days and three days since we last spoke. So exactly, yeah. Um, well, so now that we've got the pleasantries out of the way, we are going to talk about uh, Minnesota United. It's first MLS season, and we're going to look back and we're going to kind of give some grades and. Uh, obviously, first we'll start on the the field, and we'll go through and kind of all give our um, just immediate gut reaction gra- grades. We don't, we have not discussed these in advance, so we can totally judge one another. Um, but we'll start at the back. You got to build from the back. I want to know how has our goalkeeping been. Uh, we and we'll start with Alex first because he's he's the uh, goalkeeping expert. But otherwise, yeah, I was gonna say um, let's just. I mean, with each of these groups. We know you've been watching, but let's kind of go through what's changed mm-hmm. since, let's say, January 1st or whatever. Yeah. With So these are all the factors that we're considering, basically. Uh, before any goalkeepers were signed, Minnesota United signed former Vancouver Whitecaps goalkeeper coach and director of goalkeeping in their academy, Marius Rovdi, uh, former Norwegian pro, played in Wales, played in Norway, etc. He was their coach. They tried to land Adam, Adam Kouarase, uh Portland veteran, uh, had been the starter for Ghana in the last World Cup. Uh, an injury to Kouarase and a surgery that he needed ended up scuffing the deal. Minnesota didn't have a goalkeeper going into the Super Draft. They draft uh, Alec Farrell. Don't sign him due to injuries. There's still a chance they sign him. Minnesota eventually signs John Alvberge from Sweden. And he looks to be the starter. It's on a loan. Sorry, a six-month loan with a six or an eighteen-month option. And then they acquire Bobby Shuttleworth, and that's their depth. Well, I just the the way that the way finally hearing it said in that way mm-hmm. go from Corsay, we're going to sign him, and he gets injured. And then you go to Alec Farrell, we draft him, he's injured. And then you go to um, Alfie, who uh, gets injured in the second game, goes out. Bobby Shuttleworth has been kicked. What? This is oh, like well, Final Destination. Well, you know who walked out unscathed? Two goalkeepers, Pat McLean and Billy Heavner. Their time is coming. They've, they've they, they, you know. Heavner got out while he could. Yeah, he's it's, like the character it's, early it's, in a horror film who's like, it's haunted, runs away, and everyone's like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, so anyway. But Alex, um, why don't you give us your grade for how the goalkeeping has gone uh, this season? Well, so far. given that history, I think the biggest surprise is that I think the goalkeeping is a B plus, maybe even an A minus. It's been actually one of the most consistent strengths of Minnesota this year. Which is really, really strange to say, but it's true. I think that in in the early games in the season when we had Alboga, he didn't. He was not the problem, like at all. It was the it was what happened in front of him, and 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 we'll get to that. I think that Bobby Shuttleworth has been very good since coming in, um, which has really surprised me because I was not happy about him, and I, I, he didn't seem to me to be. A, particularly solid goalkeeper to to start off a season with. Uh, I think that when you look at the actual quality and consistency of how that area in the field is played, you probably have to say that goalkeeping has been Minnesota's strongest. It's pretty odd. Okay, I'm I'm going to stop you there, Alex. I'm going to just I'm just going to point out that in two of the last three games our goalkeeper has made a howler. But it's the first time, first time this season that we've had like really 
pretty egregious goalkeeping errors in that way. You gave your grade and you were you were perfectly you were well within your bounds. I I will I will say that you are, I have been surprised at how uh, decent shuttle he's been better than I expected him to be, and I do think he has been pretty good. Uh, you know there there have been some some mistakes here and there, and I think that um, certainly I think it's a spot that could be improved. But I would give I would give a a, a B minus. I don't think, uh, I don't think a ton of all you know. We have one of the worst defenses ever, um, and so we have to acknowledge that. Um, so maybe it should be a C plus. But uh, but I'll, I'll go between those two. Um, I I think there's two separate grades to give here on the field. I'm gonna give that C plus that you're alluding to. I, I... I do agree Shuttleworth has done better. Shuttleworth has kept Minnesota in games. Elfie kept Minnesota in a game on the road in Houston when he was subbed in for Bobby after uh, Bobby got that, that gash in the face. And, and the Portland game, too, yeah. And the Portland game, too. That's true. So I, I do think that on the field they have been... Uh, they have had flashes of success. However, you cannot overlook the fact that they've shipped in the most goals of any. Yes, some of that goes to the defense, but I think of every four or five goals of the 38 Minnesota United has allowed in the first half of the season, of each five, you can look at one or two that you're like, that could have been saved. And so I'm going to say there is room for improvement. I think Shuttleworth can be a starting goalkeeper on a playoff team as you're looking towards the next three years. I don't think that's one of the most pressing areas you need to replace. However, I do not think that once you get past that three-year mark, there's anyone on this roster who would still be there. And I think there needs to be a prospect. Whether that's Alec Farrell, whether that's someone like Marco Carducci, who was on trial with the team earlier in the year. Uh, that player is missing for Minnesota, and I think that's something that they need to see. Otherwise, I, w- I am actually going to give an A to the hiring of Marius Rovdi because I think he's gotten the most out of... Uh, or we're going to talk about coaching staff later. But, point of order, yeah. Great. Any 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 acquisition? We've got a separate part where we'll talk about great front of office uh, or technical staff. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not um, going to dispute that the the way that the whole like the whole goalkeeping core has been handled has been like kind of disastrous. I agree that like if if you're factoring that into the grade, it absolutely comes down. But I think that I think that your your critique of like let's say you know twenty percent of goals or whatever you can say should have done better. I think you are holding the goalkeepers to a standard that's not realistic in MLS. I think that if you look at the Minnesota goalkeeping core and you compare it to the way that other teams, uh, you know, Portland has tons of goalkeeping issues. LA has tons of goalkeeping issues. Houston's had tons of goalkeeping issues. There really isn't a team in MLS, basically sporting Kansas City, and that's it, who have had flawless goalkeeping this year. Um, I think that LA has been really yeah, bad. Who is that guy? He's Clement Diop. Diop. Yeah. He's bad. I, I think that if you compare the Minnesota uh, goalkeepers to the MLS standard, which is what we really should be expecting, I think that I think that the, uh, a high grade is justified. Um. Let's talk about the defense then, uh, Jeff. Do you want to do you want to start on this? Yeah. So let's let's go through the rundown here. the The first signings in club history, and they will want to be announced in this order, were Kevin Venegas and Justin Davis. They were signed to be fullbacks before uh, the the head coach was um, signed. We won't tell you who the head coach is because we're apparently going in order of operations, mm-hmm. and so I will save that for the second segment. <laughs> no spoilers. Uh, you then saw eventually Brent Coleman signed a couple of days before preseason before him. Francisco Calvo was signed, um, on allocation money from Saprisa in Costa Rica. Vadim Demidov was brought in from SK Braun to be the captain of the team. Minnesota United legend Vadim Demidov. Correct. And El Capitan and partner for what looked to be a fantastic balance of intellect and athleticism <laughs> that would be respectively Demidov and Calvo. Um, after a few games, some of that narrative did not quite work, and Jerome Thiesson was brought in to play right back. Uh, Jermaine Taylor, I, for- I neglected to mention, was also brought in to um, play right back, vi- to play right back and then left back. And then, well, he was brought um, in, and that's how he was first employed. I think correct. He, and then also, we're, we're also missing, by the way, can. Joe Greenspan, <laughs> who right. was acquired for a third round draft pick um, in the 2017 Super Draft. So uh, let's go. And then 
order of operations, we're going to go with um, what we've gone through. Alex, defense. No, I want you no. to start first. You, you want me to first. start? Yeah, Alex started goalkeeper. People are so sick you... of my voice. Wes, you go okay, first. I'll, okay, I'll go first. Um, I think that some of the most impressive moments this season have come from the defense, and yet you cannot... Like, the buck stops with the defense, right? I mean, I don't care if the midfield is leaving them high and dry. The buck stops with them. They're the second worst defense in the league, and they will be the second worst defense in MLS history. Uh, so I think you have to give them, or I have to give them, a uh, a D. Um, and and I think that, and yet, I think that Brent Coleman has been a revelation. I think that Francisco Calvo is legitimately a very good center back. Um, Jerome Tisson has been uh, a fantastic signing. Um, and I think, yeah, but they've been, they've, they've been some stinkers this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I will follow that and say, I think that you have absolutely two players that are week in week out starters without question. Um, I would argue that Brent is getting very close to that sort of, declaration not just because of a lack of pressure behind him currently but I, I think that his play has actually justified that when you look at the strikers he's been able to contain for the most part um mark birch stabilized that left back position pretty well before his injury i did have some gripes with how he played the position um and that he wasn't really pressuring players i i'm gonna go with a c minus but i do actually think that that's a, an indicator that no, I'm going to go with a D plus, actually. Yeah, I'm going to say it's in that D range because I think this is a case where the parts are actually greater than the whole. And that's a total opposite of what you see with, the, with these clubs that are able to ride defenses to great success. Mm -hmm. You look at Colorado last year. You look at some of those SKC teams. You look at the Houston Dynamo teams at the turn of the decade. You know, they were definitely the sum greater than the parts. This is the opposite. You look and you say, all these parts kind of make sense. Left back, yeah, the fullbacks are a little bit in flux, especially now that Birch is down. But... um yeah, for whatever reason, even though that center back pairing seems pretty sharp, teams are always able to find a couple of really easy chances to score against them. So yeah, I'm going to say D plus in the defense as well. Alex? Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of the goalkeepers, right? When we talked about the goalkeepers, we, we really were in agreement that the um, we didn't really have the pieces for the future, um, but that the play had been... Uh, you know, we range from sort of acceptable to to, to really quite good. Um, I think in defense, the play has been somewhat disastrous. But I wouldn't really trade any of the guys, with with the notable exception of, of Demidov. I really like who we've got. I think we have a really talented central defender for the future in Francisco Calvo, who I... I can't see us holding to onto for his entire career. I think. Yeah, I think we sell him after the World Cup. But yeah, <laughs> I think that we have a very, I think that we have a very stable, solid defender in Brent Coleman. I think that we have Drum Tison, who might be one of the, he might be one of the best fullbacks in the league right now. Um, so the pieces are there. I'm really excited, and I think that you know Joe Greenspan is quite a young player, and he can still do some damage in his career. I think that we are in a good spot looking long-term with defenders, but I'm going to stick to giving my grades based on the play on the field so far. And so I, I have to say uh, a D. Okay. Um, the the midfield, um, we're, we're, we'll include all the midfielders here, but, but uh, you know, obviously that we'll talk about the attack separately and that kind of includes some of the midfielders. But, you know, the opening day you had... <laughs> Schuler, Warner, Saeed, Kadri, Molino. Uh, this last weekend, we had Molino of that of that group, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, you you started out with this kind of um, four three three with uh, three kind of central midfielders, uh, you know, two two central midfielders and one defensive midfielder sitting behind them. Um, it uh, obviously was was pretty disastrous, and then Cronin was the big uh, addition. 
coming in and helped. You know, Ibsen came started, or Ibsen came in as a sub that match. I think that Portland. Yeah, match. yeah, yeah. And then uh, Cronin came in, and now it now the the central midfield in particular is Cronin Ibsen every every match. Um. Uh, I, I I guess Jeff, do you want to you want to take this one first and and give your it's, your it's, grade? On yeah, it? it's tough because you when you're looking at the first half of the season, you can't just there's there's a trend that a lot of people either covering Minnesota United or who are fans of Minnesota United want to do where they say yeah the first 4 weeks you got to throw it out the window but i i think that you have to you have to include that especially if you're looking at how the season actually played out those first 4 games that was the worst midfield in major league soccer you know and i don't even think that it was just a, yeah they're just feeling each other out because they're all acquired over the course of 5 months and most likely 2 or 3 months that is a case of none of these parts clicked. Boshkim Kadri is not equipped to be in a midfield. He's equipped to be playing as a true winger, not a midfielder. And there's a huge difference in responsibilities there. Mo Saeed, Rasmus Schuler, Colin Warner all want to do the exact same thing on a field with only very minute variations on it. And you cannot have three players doing all of that. And so then... For the first month, month and a half of the season, it was Kevin Molino playing hero ball, and boy, I hope he gets the ball to Christian. And that was the entirety of the midfield's plan. As much as I've been a critic of the long-term prospects of Ibsen in the midfield, Ibsen has done wonders to transform this midfield, and especially because of Sam Cronin. I think Sam Cronin is one of the three most important players to Minnesota United without a question. And I think once Sam Cronin came in, it allowed Ibsen to do what Ibsen wants to do, like Colin Warner never could before him because Warner doesn't want to be a defensive midfielder. So you've got Cronin doing all the dirty work, looking for very little glory, aside from the occasional header that finds Christian Ramirez's boot or that cross that came off the wing, but both those were off of set pieces. You've got Ibsen shuttling the ball back and forth, able to sneak back because the opposition doesn't expect him to play defense and he's able to make some really nice takeaways because he's catching them by surprise. And you've got Molino drifting from the wing if I'm coaching them or as Adrian coaches them. Sorry, I said no spoilers on who the coach is. Um, playing as the number 10, doing his thing as the distributor. For that first half iteration, that's an F. For the current iteration, I do think that's an A minus, so it's got to be somewhere at a C right now. If you're purely looking at a 17 game sample, Alex, I think that I think that Jeff sort of uh, started into it because I really don't think you can talk about the midfield without talking a little bit about the tactics and without talking a little bit about the decisions that were made by the coaching staff. And I think that to start the season, it was all wrong. Um, there were you know, the, we, you mentioned the 4-3-3. Uh, it was just, it didn't work. Um, it, it took a while to unlock the potential of the midfield. And I still am not sure that we have it exactly right. Um, I, I do think that the, that the Krohn and Ibsen pairing is a really good um, pairing. They, they really complement each other. And I think that in, in the Portland and Vancouver games, the two most recent games from when we're recording this, the Kevin Molino Miguel Ibarra attacking midfield pairing, and I still think of this team as playing a 4-2-2-2, I think that that pairing has also looked really dynamic. We'll see if that continues um, in the second half of the, of the season. I think the grade you have to give the midfield is is a, is a C is the best you can give it. I think that some games, especially at home, it it really looks dynamic. Recently, we've we've seen just some incredible midfield play, some dominating midfield play from the team, but on the road, especially and in a lot of games, it's been run over. And there are talented players there. I just don't think that they've often been used. Uh, to the best of their ability. But I have some hope that we have figured it out and that in the future, in the end of the season, we'll be able to give a much stronger grade, but uh, a C for me for now. Yeah, I'll, I'll join you with a, a C there in that, um, you know, th there are 
days when when the team, as you say, can uh, possess the ball, move the ball, etc. But there are other times where, uh, you know, particularly early on in the season, the the fault of the team was they would just completely be out of position, and then on the counter, the op- the opposition would just hot knife through butter, um, and then expose the defense. Players like Demidov were exposed to be so uh, so poorly. Um, because of the mid, what the midfield did did for them didn't do for them, and so um, you know I think of, I think about one of the one of the PKs Demidov gave up for example was Mo Saeed not taking down his man on a counter and then you know uh, Demidov gets screwed and and don't get me wrong Demidov was a bad bad player for us but uh, not quite as bad as I think uh, the the reputation. Uh, we have even given him, um, and and look, I mean, there are days where where I think that Cronin and Ibsen can can move the ball and shuttle it well, but they they can't. They're not uh, unlocking or picking the locks, as they say. Um, so I'll I'll go with you on that. Any any final notes well, on the midfield? Not on the midfield, actually. Let we we totally glossed over Vadim Demidov when we talked about the defense. So I I know this is a little out of sequence, but. I think we do need to address that. I think, I think we'll I think talk we about him when talk we talk about, about acquisitions. Okay, sure. Let's do that then. Uh, so let's move on to the attack. We have to address the Vadim Demidov. Uh, he's the, actually in the room. He's, he is in the he's room. sulking in the corner. Eating a couple of oysters right now. Uh, so let's look at the attack. The attack um, started the season. We, we went through the midfielders. You had Kadri and Molino as wings. You had Johan Venegas as the center forward. Uh, Minnesota's attacks fates entirely changed once Kevin or Kevin Christian Ramirez was subbed in and he scored the first goal in club history and he has started every game since then. Um, Ramirez through half the season has nine goals and an assist. Molino, five goals, five assists. Johan, two goals, three assists. Abu, two goals, two assists. Miguel Ibarra, one goal, three assists. And then Ibsen playing from the midfield has three assists as well. And those that's that's pretty much the entirety of your offensive output before the Vancouver uh, defensive domination drill. Um, I think that, uh, boy, how do you, because basically you are rating Christian and the people who give him the ball, right? Yeah. That's I about mean, it. Uh, Cause I, that's the, that's the whole attack. Yeah. I would say that three quarters of Minnesota's games have been scintillating precisely because of this attack. So I, I'm going to give them an, uh, a minus, probably a B plus, but I want to be uh, a little hmm. hyperbolic in that um, the Minnesota is really friggin' fun to watch. And it's in part because of the good parts of Ibsen and, and Cronin, right? Getting the balls forward. Um, it's in part because Molino is a really good, uh, um, skillful playmaker. Um, it's because when Miguel is clicking and it hasn't been enough this, this season yet, um, it's really fun to watch him play and, and to, to shuffle the ball um, between his uh, his colleagues. And Christian Ramirez, as we have said over and over again, is a very special striker. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just score goals. He scores them well and with panache and with um, sex appeal. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that the team is fun to watch almost every week. Real Salt Lake and... I don't know. Were there other stink? The San the, Jose, yeah. San Jose and uh, Sporting KC away was um mm-hmm. was a, a stinker. So aside from those four games, when you include the Open Cup, but I yeah. mean that's still like less than that's like a quarter. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so so I I think that um I think that it's just been a blast to watch them play. Um, they need to do better. Uh, Denladi I think should have been tracking back um for the the on in Portland game to when they gave up the second goal. Um, they need to do a, b- a better job of protecting the midfield and and pressuring from f- the the front. I think that's been one of Christian's biggest problems throughout his career that he's not really good enough about uh, about putting pressure up top. But that's that's my grade. You want to, Jeff? You wanna... Sure. Um, ahead of the season, right after like the day Christian signed, uh, I was talking with Jason Davis on Sirius. XM and I said that Christian is a guy who should score double digit goals in his first season. And that was something that even I was kind of sweating out a little bit because there are so many unknowns with any of these guys who haven't played yeah. it like a top flight. Uh, I think that Christian has been 
along with Brent Coleman, the most pleasant surprises that Minnesota United have found. And the thing is, none of us should have been surprised by this. And I think that deep down, we weren't. But I think the most surprising part is that there wasn't even a five-game adjustment period for Christian. And so I, I think that, that that that's a huge credit to his talent. The fact that he has nine goals halfway through the season, I think that's that's a respectable tally for a striker on any team. You know, he's scoring in more than half of his games. I think that that we were uh, afraid to we like didn't want to seem like the the Homer NASL guys who just didn't understand MLS. That's fair. So we like internalized this kind of uh, anti MLS doubt or anti NASL doubt. I still did say that Christian would score 15, 16 goals. I think that's the number I put on it as well. So, um, well, now you just want to be like me, Jeff. <laughs> January, Jeff wanted to. Yeah, that's the one. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah. So, I, 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 I think that people uh, doubted him and they're stupid and they still doubt him and they're still stupid. You hijacked my segment, Wes. So, I think that aside from Ramirez, I think the biggest issue you can't deny that there's been a total lack of a partner for Ramirez to play with off of, whether that's as a number 10 or as a second striker, Johan Venegas, two goals, three assists. Sure. That's fine. That's serviceable. He hasn't cut it. And there's never really been a moment since the first month of the season where you've looked at Ramirez Venegas and thought there's something there. Abu Dunladi is coming in streaks, but he's looked maddeningly inconsistent. And I think that he still needs time. Frankly, I would send him on a loan for a couple of months like Greenspan, get him constant reps to be the main guy on a team and see if that translates back. And other than that, there isn't a single backup striker on this roster. If we've said this before and listeners take two seconds here to knock on wood before I say this. Thank you. If Ramirez falls hurt or gets called in surprisingly for fall world cup qualifiers as the roster is currently set up minnesota united is fucked and there is no other way to look at that and that again we'll talk about this later goes to the roster acquisition in the front office however that is something that i have to factor in because it is a very unifaceted attack right now I'm going to say that it's a B minus because I do think that Ramirez has been one of the top 10, top eight strikers in major league soccer this year without a question and possibly top five with a few questions, but beyond I'd say he's the fourth best based on the gold, based on the goals, golden, sure. golden boot, <laughs> but, yep. I'm just kidding. but no, I mean, that's not a joke. That's actually factually accurate. Um, but I think that the fact that there isn't anyone who can take the pressure off of him, um, I think that's an issue. Alex, is there anything else you want to say about the attack? B minus seems good to me. Um, I think you've hit on all the points. Yeah, Abu Dunladi and Johan Venegas are the two guys, and Bashkam Kadri, really anyone but Christian Ramirez are the people who need to... St- Ish, Ish Jones, Ish, we, we yeah. didn't even mention. Hard to tell what kind of position of he is best categorized as. I, I, I guess he's midfield, probably, but... But the guys behind Christian in that second striker or more often than not right wing role are all sort of forwards and someone else. We need we need at least two people to really be threats. And we right now only have one. And I think that that, we'll probably get to it, but that's one of the areas in the field which is probably the most most pressing need for the team going forward but because of christian i think a b minus or b is a really appropriate grade for that whole group sure okay let's talk about uh we'll talk about technical staff but let's first start with uh heath uh the tactics we've talked a little bit about it here and there um one of the things that that we uh can say is that he certainly at times particularly in the beginning got the tactics way wrong but you can also say that um, throughout the season, the tactics have uh, significantly changed, and the team has um, adjusted even past, even beyond just the original adjustment of "oh, we're crap." Um, there's been there's been minor adjustments here and there. There's different uh, attempts at style of play. Um, Alex, do you, why don't you start first on this one? Can can you give him a, a grade? I feel like I could give him any grade, and it would all all of it would make sense, but. Yeah, I think you're right. You could kind of justify anything. I think I think we're back in the B range. Um, 
The, the beginning of the season really frustrated me because he got the tactics really wrong, and it seemed to me very obvious from the beginning. Like, he, he the team that he picked to start the season in in that second game against Atlanta was 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 one that like at the time I and I'm not the only one but was saying like that's wrong like what what are we doing like in preseason we saw a better version of this team out there we saw the team play better than this you know what are, and you're talking about the formation right yeah I'm talking about the formation you, with the three man midfield that, especially we, you know uh, yeah just sort of it it seemed pretty self evident from the start that that the tactics were wrong. And I would say that so they proved, you know, we were disastrous. I would give him credit. He pretty quickly realized that. I mean, I guess it would have been hard not to, but he he quickly reversed course pretty dramatically. And the result was a, was a pretty immediate turnaround. I mean, it sort of gets lost in the shuffle, but we, in the third week of the season, played a very good match away at Colorado against a team that still had Sam Cronin and Mark Birch. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think that that, and that was, that was the, that then because of the international break, we had to go back to uh, some, some players um, and, and sort of a formation that didn't suit us for the fourth game. After that, I mean, it was pretty, it's been pretty consistent for the team. You know, they haven't always been great, but they've been a pretty respectable MLS team since that New England game. And I think that, you know, this it all depends on what sort of game we record after. After the Portland and Vancouver games, feeling optimistic again. After the Salt Lake game, I wasn't. But I think you can see some evidence of improvement. It's not as fast as I would like. But I think that Adrian, he, you know, does he know what he's doing? Yes, I think he generally does. Does he have a vision for how the team plays? Yes, I think he does. Is he a good evaluator of talent? Generally, yes. Is he very good at making strikers better? I think that's definitely the case. That's really exciting about him. I think overall a B, B- minus is the right grade. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a C+. Plus. Uh, I, I think that... Um... In in some senses, you can look at uh, where we are on the table and think that's pretty. It's it's not that bad considering um, the the team you know the the hand that was dealt, which we'll deal with next. Um, but you know, and uh, if you look at how many games there there were where there was kind of shooting ourselves in the foot, there were enough that we we. We were bad, not just because of the players who were signed or whatever, but because we were not employing them correctly. Um, and so I, I think that uh, that I am more optimistic about Heath. I think that he's doing a good job, but right now I'm going to give him C plus, And by the end of the season, I think I'll be able to have forgotten the, the early stumbles more. Sure. Um, I'm going to... It's a bit ironic because I, I think that he is like the inverse version of his successor at Orlando and Jason Christ. Jason Christ in his time in Real Salt Lake was someone who was seen as tactically he had one system that he would never leave, but damn, he could get the best out of these players. And he really made Kyle Beckerman, Nick Raimondo, uh, Jamison Olave, uh, all of his strikers play better than they should. And he was a man motivator and he got the, gap here when he took the NYCFC job and suddenly everything shifted. And I've talked to, I think half a dozen players who have played for Jason Christ teams for New York city or for Orlando. And they all say each week he's trying something different tactically. And for whatever reason, that kind of man motivation side is gone. And I think Adrian Heath has been the absolute inverse of that. Not to say it's exactly the RSL version of Christ, but I think that he has He's someone who, in-game, I don't see enough adjustments from him. I, I, I Certainly, the last two weeks, you've seen much more encouraging signs of him being able to do this and get the most out of his teams in the second half and be a second-half team, truly. But um, I think that goes down to his man motivation, and you can tell that all of the guys really buy into him being their gaffer. And so I'm, I'm going to say in that B-minus range that you guys are kind of both tiptoeing around as well. Um the the thing is, 
in MLS, that kind of man motivation guy, that goes far. And and so I do think that there is upside with Adrian Heath as the manager. All right, let's um let's uh, take a break now. We'll do some music, cleanse our palate. We've had lots of reviews and grades. We'll come back and we will start talking off the pitch stuff. And we'll start with player acquisition. So, you know, gird your loins. Welcome back. It's time. It's 55-1 Podcast Midseason Review. Get your report cards out because it is technical staff time. We are going to talk about the acquisition of players and all these things that come about with Manny Lagos, Amos McGee, etc. That whole uh, group of people. Um, let me start by just reading this list. Here are the players. Uh, I'm kind of differentiating between the players who were acquired via like Expansion draft and and uh, you know the the Cronin Birch transfer. I'm thinking about here are the players who were external um, and brought in, uh, and so that is Rasmus Schuler, uh, John Alvberga, uh, Francisco Calvo, Vadim Demidov, Bashkim Kadri, Josh Gatt. Remember that guy? Oh yeah, that's uh, right. Kevin Molino. I'm considering him non MLS because right, right, we right. paid a transfer fee. Uh, Miguel Ibarra, Jerome Tison. Am I missing anyone? I think I'm. I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. So, of let's start with that list. I'm I'm doing a weird way to ask about these grades. Just think about that list. Um. How I I guess I would say three of those have been very good signings, and that would be Francisco Calvo. Uh. Kevin Molino and Josh Gatt and Josh Gatt and Jerome Tison. Okay. Right. And so that was how many total there? One, two, three, three. one, two, three, oh, okay. nine. <laughs> okay. So three out of nine were good signings. Miguel Ibarra, um, I think is a, a pretty good signing. It seems like we didn't pay that much for him. We're not paying him a ton. He's been, I think a C plus so far, but I, I would say if, if you're bringing in nine players and four, Five of them are flops. Three of them are good. One of them is uh, just fine. Okay. Um, that to me is is a is you got to give it a, a to me I'll, I'll give it a D plus. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that uh, is that what would can I finally get my pent up Vadim feelings out? Yeah, yeah. Give them now. <laughs> it is it is it's uh, like Vadim time. <laughs> I. Silence. I think that we completely glossed over Vadim in the first segment because he was very quickly replaced. I think that we we looked at the defense and kind of actually gave them a grade as wow, that's way better than Vadim Demidov without actually mentioning Vadim Demidov. And I think it needs to be said, Vadim Demidov is the worst major league soccer signing since Mixed Discarood. Oh, I think pure and simple when oh no mix contributed nothing to New York City and he cost as much if not a little bit more than Vadim the thing that actually I think you're right does push Vadim over mix is that he's an international as well and takes up an international spot mix's hair though mix discrude scored and, and the Vadim first goal in New York City FC history name another even, thing he, he did besides stand on billboards NYCFC signing that was Adam Nemec Oh, I thought you were going to say Frank Lampard, and I was ready for Bob Williams to call you out. Um, Do you remember Adam Nemitz, the striker yeah, who just Demidoff could is, not is score? A, is, right. is on a list of historically bad MLS <laughs> signings. Um, he will be a a, a, a punchline in, in Minnesota. He already is. He's taken up the mantle that was Johnny Steele. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah. And I, I think that that's Can't something. Can't wait for him to get signed by Miami. And those jerseys to go on sale for like 90% off and not get sold. I think that the thing is. Alex is right. This is a worse signing than Discrude, but that's the last one I can think of that was this catastrophic because when you sign someone and bank on them being your captain and then they yep. don't work out at all, your entire on-field system goes into flux. You could see this during not as much the first game, but the Atlanta game. After those, that second goal was shipped in, everyone looked around like, who is going to steady the ship? 
Yeah. And no one was and, there. And that's really it. I mean, the, the amount of gamble put in him for money, uh, starting position, but then also the captainship. Those are, that's, and the international spot. There's a lot that was put in on, into him. It was an absolute failure of a, a signing. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, those things happen, right? So if we're looking, if we're evaluating this kind of overall acquisitions, this was a big mistake. Uh, those things happen. Uh, we could we could come up with if you went to every market, um, you could ask every every team and they'll give you a, something of a Vadim Demidov story, right? Vadim was was far more prominent, I think, mm-hmm. than other people, um, than uh, other things because so many eyes were on Minnesota and things went so balls up um, for Minnesota so early. Yep, but that happens. I think okay, so I used my whole time. Sorry. Um, D plus. Alex, you're up. <laughs> That's all the time I get. I know I'm up. I think I, I, mean, I think, Scandinavian trip. I think the way I think the way you guys have put it is is correct. It's got to be a C minus or or a D, D plus even. Um, you know the the majority of big money signings that the team that the team recruited didn't work out. Uh, really, even didn't contribute um, and are now sort of out of the picture for the most part. Uh, that's pretty, pretty unfortunate. Um, I think that when you think about the players who we already had coming up via NASL, that kind of, that kind of thing. And if we had added to that with, really good international signings, really good signings from outside of the league um, or, or within the league. You know, if, if we had gotten Sam Kernan earlier, that kind of thing, uh, I think the season would have looked very different. And I think that we would have been a very strong team. Um, we are still sort of paying literally and, and sort of figuratively for these mistake signings. Um, hopefully yeah, I, someone will come out, you know, Schuller or Kadri or someone will come out and find their feet and end up being a decent, decent signing. But I think that you look at the, the, the money, the capital that was expended, the TAM that was expended, it was really, a, there were some big, big mistakes and you really can't get away from that. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that we also have to consider is, is that, um, you know, Certainly, I think Bashkim Kadri uh, was a better idea of a signing than someone we've talked about, like a JC Banks, right, from NASL, um, in that he's played for very good teams. Now, maybe injuries have messed him up or whatever, but we brought in players who now we have a lot of attitude problems. And this is a team that kept on talking about, we want players who want to be here, etc. But you don't just have, like, you have guys like... Uh, Demidov, uh, Kadri, Gat, um, those are the guys who I'll I'll say who had had or have, and and I'll say Johan Venegas even distinct attitude problems that, um, they're not, they are not bought in. And now you don't know if you can play them. Um, and that, that is also a very big problem. I think Schuler, Schuler's just struggling I, I don't get the sense that he has an attitude problem. Alf Booga is uh, a saint. That guy, that guy, like shows up at ki- like random kids' birthday parties and starts doing par- uh, balloon animals. He's he's amazing. Um, just not, not as a goalkeeper, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. He's just a fine goalkeeper. Um, so uh, we we can move on to the the other things, right? We can move on to the super draft and the we've talked about the expansion draft in a previous episode, but yeah, the super draft's going to be pretty quick actually, um, because there's really only one player to talk about. Uh, with the first overall pick, Minnesota United took Abu Danladi. First pick in the second round, they drafted Alec Farrell, who we talked about a little bit. They had the 25th pick um, overall. They traded it to Philly for the 42nd pick and 50,000 in general allocation money for next year. They used that 42nd pick on Thomas Deviardi. Uh, third round pick they traded for Joe Greenspan fourth round pick they drafted Tanner Thompson didn't sign him and he ended up at Indy yeah um, you know Abu Dinladi I think we it's hard to um, the the jury will still be out on him uh, there haven't been that many um, great impacts from the uh, 
the draft class other than Julian Gressel and who you're pointing? Well, as far as on field, con- no, you're right. Just one. Okay. Oh, I mean, oh, oh, Daniel Johnson for Chicago. Oh, I don't think I've paid attention to him. Okay. So, but then Lottie has scored two goals. He, we talked about how he's a little bit maddening. He's not uh, consistent, but that's what you would expect. That's kind of what you're expecting from from that. So I think then Lottie, let's keep him fit and all these things, but you can't. I, I won't give. I, I don't. I won't even actually grade it. Um, Alec Farrell injured. Thomas Diaviardi unfortunately was injured. So the super draft, I guess we. I don't know if I can give. I can't give TBD. A grade. Sure. Yeah, okay. Um, the the only thing I'll say is, I mean, obviously, when you look at someone like Gressel or Johnson, you say, yeah, you should have drafted them because they can contribute right away. But neither of them were like lights out prospects coming out of college. Neither of them were Generation Adidas who would have that kind of added incentive to draft them. So I totally understand that. The only player, two players that I look at as, I think. Let me start that thought over. When I'm thinking of where I'll be in three years analyzing this draft, because that's enough time to actually look back, I think right now there are only two players I'll really look at as they probably should have or could have with better results. One is Miles Robinson, who was drafted immediately afterwards, center back in Atlanta. He's developing right now behind Parkhurst, Lorenowitz, and um, Gonzalez Perez. Uh, so he's got time to actually kind of grow into his, his substantial frame. I think he could be a very good center back. The other one is the guy we thought that they were going to take, Jeremy Abobasi, who hasn't played much at all with Portland aside from the Open Cup due to a little bit of injury, but mostly international duty. He was gone at the U-20 World Cup, and he scored a goal there. And I think that his stock is certainly on the rise, and he's he's got to be someone who's seen with high upside. So I agree with you, Wes. I think that there isn't enough to really analyze these 20 to 23 year olds yet. But I think those are the two names I look at as I'll be comparing Abu's output to those two for the next few years. Let's move to, to other off the pitch stuff, which is that this is the, the first big test for the front office in terms of ticket sales, marketing, and all these other things. Um, uh, th- that includes, you know, um, yeah, just everything of scaling up their operations. And it's not an easy task, right? You you've you've had a ton of people brought in, people shifted around in roles, um, and you have a lot more eyes on what you're doing every every day. So so we we should certainly acknowledge that. Um but uh I'll I'll go first again here and, and just just grade. Um the average attendance has been twenty thousand one hundred fifteen. That's uh, it's pretty inflated by that first home opener. Mostly, it's been about between seventeen and it was nineteen last weekend. Um, the TCF Lower Bowl holds twenty two thousand, and I, I, I just have to believe it's your first. It's this brand new thing. You have a lot of people in the Twin Cities. You should be able to sell out that first bowl in the first year, um, and. To me, that has been a failure. Um, it, it's going to get better. They're going to they've they have a, a decent season ticket base at eleven thousand or so, but it's just not it's not good enough. And so there's that. I think the marketing uh, leading up to this season was abysmal. There was absolutely no market penetration. They didn't advertise or do anything real until a couple weeks before the home opener. Uh, it was just just terrifyingly bad. I thought the the that there was there's no attempt to sell this team as anything other than another sports team. There's nothing special about it and that that bums me out. That's exactly why people come to the soccer um to the soccer. To the football That's why the yeah. people come to the soccer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the football. Yeah. Um and, and and I think that that I think that then there's also been a series of missteps of I think fans have started have felt really felt like they've been turned into sales leads um, rather than actual people who come to their games or people who are part of the community. I think that there's uh, been just ridiculous mess ups, including the most uh, recent one where you've got the the team president um, bitching about uh, you know how just how 
supporters groups want to bring in this TFO, it's banned, and then you know you've got team president bitching about how he wasn't invited on a community radio uh, program to defend himself or things. It's just there's this weird antagonism that has come out throughout um, the the front office toward fans, where um, you know fans they complain, right? They 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 bitch, they complain, they're happy sometimes. Um, and that, that happens and I'm sure it sucks having people complain about how you're doing your job, but, but there's this bizarre antagonism that has killed a lot of goodwill that used to exist. So I'm going to give overall, I've just gave my little like summary of everything, a, uh, a D plus. I don't know. Alex, (laughs) you want to jump in? Tell us how you really feel. Um, yeah, that yeah, was your Vadim well, Demidov uh, rant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeff's got Vadim Demidov. Yeah. I've got the whole front. Listen, office. I mean, I mean, so I'm here in Philadelphia, right? I can't speak to a lot of stuff about about the marketing. I can say that at the beginning of the season, I I'll, I'll say that if you look at like it's actually not so difficult usually to predict the sort of attendance of of, of teams because it comes down to. You can you can get a general sense by looking at you know what's the population in in the metro area and um, you know how many other com- competing uh, activities are there and the Twin Cities it's tough you have three revenue sports at a Big Ten university uh, four other major men's teams a very successful uh, women's professional team one of the highest drawing minor league baseball teams in the country. So you have a lot of competition for every sort of marginal entertainment dollar uh, in the Twin Cities. And, and I think that's tough. That being said, this is the first season, and I agree. I, I think that I was hoping for, I was sort of expecting 20,000 people a game. I think that's a good benchmark. This last game they had 19,000. Maybe they're working their way up to it. Maybe the fact that the team was so bad to start really hurt sales. I'm sure that was a factor. Um, so hopefully they end the season and they, they go through this run of summer home games with a, with a lot of sort of 20,000 um, attendance games. But, but, but basically, just, just from afar, my point was that the numbers didn't... They, they weren't what I was expecting. And, and so that's sort of disappointing. I do think when we talk about off-the-field stuff, though, we, we can't just focus on... Things like um, the attendance. I think that you have to look at things like the stadium, which has been a tremendous. You know, they've gotten it built. They're they're getting get it built. I think that's a success that we can't ignore. I think that the target that's sponsorship true. is pretty amazing. I think that that is probably the most recognizable shirt sponsor in the league. Um, this, you know, that's really good for the team. Um, so I think that in some respects off the field, they've done very well. But I think that in the respects that deal most closely with the fans and that we tend to fixate on as fans, like the attendance, like the you know marketing and the billboards and whatever, I, I, I get the sense that that has been a disappointment, as, as, as you've said. Uh... I mean, from my side of it, I, I come at it from a different way. I don't come at it from a fan's perspective. So um, I, I, I focus most on the on-field stuff. So I, I will admit that I've been pretty oblivious to a lot of these things. Uh, the, the banner thing that went on this week, I was very oblivious to during the game, things like that. So I don't know the fan side of it. Um, so I won't comment on that. And I know I'm going to get some flack about saying that right now, but um, that's not a perspective I have. It's not something I'll comment on. I do agree with you, Alex. I think the target sponsorship was the perfect sponsor that they could have gotten when you look at where target space out of where the team is and the impact that that's had, not just on the team, but the league as a whole, because clearly the league did want um, target and targets money <laughs> involved with major league soccer. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that Wes, you alluded to this. I think it, it's going to keep improving and improving as kind of they get reps just like a rookie player. You know, it's there's a difference between an ASL and MLS. There are going to be major things that change about operations, about number of staff necessary, whatever. And I, I think that the front office fairly and unfairly has taken their lumps 
for a lot of things that have gone on in this first half of the season. And I do think that they're growing from this and not shying away from it. So, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. And I think we, we also need to take into account the, the kind of, uh, I, I think that they're, the ownership as well, um, has not, um, has, does, does not seem to, have, I think that there needs to be some adjustment in the kind of, uh, uh, attitudes there in terms of how money you know the investment and things like that there's been a lot of things that have been just done on the cheap um you know the hearing that minnesota united's entire marketing budget is basically uh one month of atlanta united's marketing budget like well you can see what happens when you do that and i think that those expectations uh i don't think um i think amos mcgee should have been hired nine months before he was, you know, things like that, that were not, were just, they were done to, to keep costs down and things like that. And you can see the effect of, of those types of decisions. But, um, so let, let's take this time then to, to look ahead and, and think about what is the, the second half of the season look like our original, you know, on the field, our original predictions were Jeff, you and I both said eight place, Alex, you said ninth place, Currently, we're sitting eighth place. Right? Ninth, yeah. We are ninth. Ha! Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you're 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 all right right now. So do we? Did we have? I guess we had realistic expectations <laughs> at the beginning. Um. Uh. But where do you where do you see us ending now? Is this is is it this about Jeff? Where where you think we'll be? Yeah, I think Minnesota's going to finish eight or nine. I, I I just think that there's there's a clear class of seven teams that are going to be fighting for the postseason. I honestly think we talked about this a few days ago on the main podcast that came out on Tuesday morning because we clearly recorded this later. Um, the firing of Dom Kinnear, I think, is really going to mess with San Jose, and I think that drops him out of the playoffs, frankly. So I, when I look at it, you've got some combination of San Jose, Minnesota, who's who's even the, the two? Vancouver. Van, or Colorado and RSL. Oh, yeah. Yep, oh, and RSL. Okay, yeah. Those are going to be the bottom four teams. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be RSL and Colorado as the bottom two. So it's a matter of just jockeying with San Jose for who's going to be eight nine. Yeah. Do you have Do you have rosier predictions, Alex, or are you still going with your bleak ninth? Um, I I think that this is MLS, and in MLS, even pretty bad teams are still sort of contending for the playoffs in the final weeks. Um. I I think that that will be us if nothing changes. I expect to still have some faint playoff aspirations with let's say 3 weeks to go. Um but I really do think that there is an opportunity. I mean, I think that there are enough pieces in this team. I think that the first team lineup um can compete with anybody. I think we've seen it compete with anybody. I think that if the team does well in this upcoming stretch of home games, I think that the calculus can change. I think that if the team at some point in time figures out how to play on the road, uh, that that changes the entire ball game, really. What's the number that we've not won a, a an away game in four hundred? Yeah. yeah, it's four since, days. since Edmonton. Ben Spee scored time, a brace right? against Edmonton in yeah. April. Yeah, 15, um, But but I think that uh, I think mm-hmm. that I think that there are. There's a possibility to make the playoffs. I really do. I really do think that there's a possibility that this team makes the playoffs. Um, I think that as we're going now, it probably won't happen. But there's a whole summer transfer window to shake things up. I think that the team knows that they need to make some transfers. And, yeah, I'm still hopeful. I'm, I'm still hopeful that they can sneak into the playoffs this year, really. Jeff? Um, I, I don't think they'll sneak into the playoffs because I think when you look at results like losing at home to San Jose, losing at home to the Galaxy when they were going through a really tough stretch at that time, drawing against Vancouver, that to me, that's seven points dropped. Maybe five if you say the Galaxy should have walked out with a point. Fine. That is a shocking number of points to drop in your first half of the season. Right now, Minnesota's at 18 points. 36 points in last year's Western Conference would have gotten them 10th place. 
40 points would have gotten them eighth. And 42, 40, I think 43 was the sixth place cutoff. And so when you look at you've dropped six points, seven points already through half the season, that means that you need to make those up on the road. And like Alex said, that hasn't been Minnesota's forte for not just this iteration, but the last one as well. So I, I do think that those results will bite Minnesota in the ass. But like you said, if Minnesota isn't mathematically eliminated until three weeks, two weeks before the end of the season, bravo. It means that they were really competing. But to this the end is of the a year. team that yeah, they, they keep looking better sure. and better, right? So, like, I'm not sure that taking just the first half of the season and sort of assuming it'll flip is is particularly instructive because we had sort of a wasted at least three games at the start of the year and. I just think we I think we do look better. I think we're improving. I, I, I expect to be better than eighteen points through the next half of the season. Sorry, Wes. The hard no, the hard part is though, just to close that, the San Jose, LA and Vancouver games. LA. Those weren't I mean, we in the really early. We crushed LA. We dominated. Yeah, but you didn't game. walk out with points in that. That's the yeah. point. It doesn't matter if you you know, a moral victory. You know, that doesn't get you in the playoffs. That doesn't push you above the red line. I agree with you. In that LA game, they were better. In the Vancouver game, they were far better. In the San Jose game, they were at least as good. But they walked out of those three games with one but point. But maybe it does tell and, you that the team will improve. You know, that. Yeah, and I, I think the, the tough part is we can think about it in the abstract, but the fact is we have five, game, five home games in July. Is that? Yeah. Um, and uh, we are going to probably come out of that really ebullient and happy and all these things. And then we're going to go on a long skid for the rest yeah. of the season. Right. We'll come, we, we should come out of uh, five home games with, so it's 15 uh, possible points. We should come out of that with um, nine, 10 points and it'll be great. We'll feel, be feeling happy. And then we will get nine, 10 points the rest of the season. Um, and so I, I think that that's just, that's the way it is. It's hard to play on the road in, uh, in this league and we don't have depth. And so the, those are the two big problems. Um, but if, you know, what we talked about, um, signings or whatever, if, if we can only make one good signing the rest of the season, not, not only one signing, but one, if you were like, all our attention has to be on this. What would that? What's that? That's a number ten. Yep. I number agree. 10. Yeah, I guess I guess that's an easy question. But okay, so let's let let's but let's play this game. Let's play it as I'm going to give you the hypothetical scenario, and I know sometimes I hint at things that are in the works. This is, I promise you, not one of those things explicitly. But let's say Minnesota United has found a Chilean number ten that they will be able to sign in January as their first designated player, and they are building to that. Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> See Chilean. Yeah. Some, yes. Somebody in this room, people are talking about Alexis Sanchez. All the, lots of people. A are lot of people Alexis are Sanchez. talking yeah. about Alexis Sanchez, and a lot of people are talking about Minnesota United. Put two Sam and two Allardyce. together. It's pretty yeah. easy. Yeah. Sam Allardyce is going to be the center of a back three. So, so you're, you're going to ask. Be good. Okay, so let's... Yeah. No, I want to know. Are you going to ask if we're if we're willing to just sort of accept treading water no. and and then you know with this with this sort of great expectations in the future and and if it's okay to sort of not fill that number ten need this summer if we know that we're going to fill it in January. I wasn't. I mean, that's actually a compelling question. That might be a li- that might <laughs> be a question. Yeah, that might be. Ask, that sorry. might no. That might be equally. I'm just. I'm playing the very simple, simple parlor talk game of assume that the number ten will come. Who are you looking at to really make sure that that number ten comes in and pushes Minnesota over the top to get to the playoffs? What area aside from oh. number ten? Because we all agree that that is the area that needs the most help. That wasn't the question I thought you were going to ask. Uh, <laughs> I think you need a right back. If if you want Tison, if you think Tison's a left back, you need a right back. Regardless, you need a, a full back. Um, uh, no offense to Justin or Viva, but I don't think that they are uh, starters in, in MLS, and we need a starter right now. And then to answer Alex's question, because I think that's good, are you okay with the idea of Minnesota not going after a 10 this summer? 
Um, no, because I think that I think that regardless, you need pl- you need more players, right? Even if the ten we get right now is going to always be a uh, a second number ten or, or a, a know, number twenty. Yeah, number twenty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think that you if there's that we still need to bring in good players because um, I don't think that someone like Johan Venegas is going to be here next year. I think that that relationship is is pretty soured right now and so i think that more needs to happen there alex uh let's start with my question uh aside from number 10 what position would you look at um i'm more depth on the wings maybe the scottish guy is the guy we're looking for so maybe we've already solved that problem sam nicholson forgot about Um, him. sam nicholson who is still still looking for the gold keeper of the future there was this week there was the sort of Mm. rumor that that we're gonna that we've offered uh justin valmsteeg the uh like the starting job, which seemed odd. Starting um, role, that's right. A but he's a old. highly rated, you know, youth international for the United States. Some someone like that. I, I'm not sure who it is, but uh, you know, I'm looking. Bobby Shuttleworth is playing great now, but the previous two seasons he wasn't so great, and he is 30. So who is going to be the goalkeeper for the future for Minnesota? That's who I'm looking for in the in the long term. Um, to answer my question, I'm looking for a capable backup striker who can probably net at least five goals the rest of the way, because I, I, there isn't that player behind Christian Ramirez. And maybe you play a two striker set sometimes and they both get on the field, but there isn't anyone who can be a true striker on this roster aside from Christian Ramirez. Yeah. Um, to answer Alex's compelling question, am I okay with Minnesota waiting? I think that that's fine. I think that Molino can do a serviceable job at the 10. It does deplete them a little bit on the wing. Um, and I personally still think that his best position is on the wing, but I think there are worse options in major league soccer at the 10 who are starting week in and week out than Kevin Molino. And so I think that as long as you have other options who can fill in these positions, that's fine. We get some depth, right? You know, I was totally wrong by saying fullback, by the way. I mean, we have no attackers on the bench. We need attackers. So, <laughs> right. um, well, I, I, we should we should call it quits. We could keep on grading things uh, uh, all night long. Um, Dollar hot dog. Uh, night. Jeff, give give yourself a, a grade plus. on this podcast. No, um, I'm gonna give myself a serviceable C. Yeah. Okay, Alex. I'm gonna give myself an E. Just get it, get that's out smart. there. Give a grade that's never given. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Wes, right. I I get an A uh, for being a goddamn genius. So. <laughs> Uh, thank you everyone uh, for listening and uh, we will see you uh, at 551 uh, and uh, you can always send us feedback westbrodine at 55.1 and uh, go check out the Patreon, go check out articles and share with your friends thank you, bye